This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for joining us on Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. Now, on the show today, we'll be kicking off the first episode of Psychology at Work for the year 2022 with none other than organisational psychologist and CEO of OPSYC, Hethel Doshi. Happy New Year, Hethel. Happy New Year, Audrey. Thanks for having me again. Now, uh, we are going to be talking about resolutions today. Uh, it's only the second week of the month. It's not too late to really be thinking about your resolutions and making your resolutions for the year. But what do we know about resolutions, Hedel? Now, Other than that, they can be quite tricky to accomplish. Yeah, it's super. I mean, yeah, let, let's start with a little bit of a history um, or a journey back in time. Yeah, So this is, you know, something that was... Uh, conceptualized over 4,000 years ago from the ancient Babylonians. And for them, the resolution or the idea of a New Year's resolution wasn't in January, it was sometime in March, where uh, there was the celebration of the sowing of crops. And as they planted the seeds, the hope was obviously success. And as they made these promises, so for them, resolutions were promises, uh, it was with the hope that God would in eventually bestow favor upon them in the coming year or the coming crop year. But New Year's resolutions are totally different these days, right? There's mm. not really like, you know, that concept of God. There's not that concept of crops. Um, there's not that concept of a community uh, aspect of it. So instead of making promises, I think what we're doing is we're making it very cerebral. Like there are goals that we have in our head. Instead of making this like a conversation with God or conversation with, you know, some higher power being, it's a very self-directed me and I. And also instead of making it community oriented because the crops were meant to feed the entire population or community, uh, nowadays our goals can be quite independent. So there's a massive difference in what was intended and what we're carrying forward today. Yeah, so the idea of resolutions has also evolved with humanity, you know, to a certain extent. Um, so what do we know about the success, the success rate of resolutions? Now, I'm asking this because I've not really had the best success rate with my resolution. So do we have any data on this? Yeah, so um, interestingly, in 1972, 25% of resolutions were abandoned within 15 weeks. And just 20 Ooh. years after that, there was a research done in about, uh, you know, 20 years after 1972, the success rate was only that we had 25% of resolvers giving up within the first week. So 1970s, people giving up within 15 weeks. 20 years later, people giving up within a week. And Audrey, I'm not sure about both you and I, but the point of it is that the failure rate is extremely high and extremely quick. And so therefore, if something has a high uh, failure rate uh, and a speed of failure, then is that an idea that we should keep uh, fold? Should we hold it or should we fold it? Yeah, so what are uh, resolutions really about then? You know, like why do we continue to will make these resolutions if the failure rate is so high? I think the idea of resolutions, uh, you know, as for what was the intent 4,000 years ago, was quite pure. 
Whereas the idea of resolutions these days may have kind of gotten lost in translation of sorts. So the Latin source of resolution means to loosen or to undo or to untie or to explain. And so Mm. what are we actually trying to loosen, undo, untie or explain? It's actually supposed to, you know, remove our burden rather than add on a burden. Isn't that quite interesting then? Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's the complete opposite of what we're doing today. It, it kind of, it kind of is. And so, you know, what are we actually, what is the resolution or what are we trying to let go of? Um, and so when you think about it, like all of us, right, as human beings, we are all motivated by self-actualization, you know, as Maslow boldly pronounced, if you plan on being anything less than what you're capable of being, you will be unhappy all of the days of your life. And that's what he has said. And so because we all want to be this somebody, um, unfortunately, as well, uh, it, uh, this is quote by Henry David, uh, who says, the mass of men, meaning all of us over here, lead our lives in this quiet desperation where we're hoping to achieve, but we can't achieve. And so there is this suffering that we go through. And maybe the resolution is to figure a way out to reduce that suffering or to address that suffering rather than creation of necessary creation of goals. Uh, so does that make sense? Um Kind of, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm still trying to grasp how we can make resolutions that allow us to, to let go. I mean, like, would you have any examples of, of how to do that? Yeah, I think a very simple example over here would be a lot of people will make a resolution of like quitting smoking, for example. Yeah, these yeah. are the top mm. five. That would okay. Come out. okay. Quitting smoking or drinking, uh, losing weight, losing weight, uh, exercising mm. more, uh, self improvement, and better relationships. These are the top five. So a lot of people would say, okay, these are the goals that I want to create. But actually, what about if we deeply understood what was you know, what was the fear that was involved in not being able to do that or the suffering? Uh, so, for example, people pick up smoking because they had some level of anxiety or some level of peer pressure or some level of the need to be validated by the peer groups that they were in and therefore they picked it up potentially. And so the idea of letting go would be to let go of that anxiety that was the first instance of when they picked up certain habits. Um, and so, you know, if we continue to work on goals rather than looking at it from a point of how do we reduce the initial suffering that created that experience for us, then year after year, um, apparently, according to research, it takes you almost 10 times to fulfill a vow. So you feel almost about 10 times before you actually uh, fulfill a vow. And mm. even then, um, the, the ones who actually end up quitting smoking end up doing it over after five to six attempts and can be very, very stressful. So the idea of wanting something could probably be, it could be probably better to think about what caused you the pain and the suffering to begin with Mm. and that puts you in that particular situation. Same thing with relationships and food and whatever not. That makes sense. Get to the root of the problem, right. Exactly. So now what would make a worthwhile or successful experience when it comes to, you know, making these resolutions? So I guess, you know, as human beings, we all want to, you know, we have two lines in our life. One is called life and the other one is called death, right? And these are the permanent two lines that we have in our Mm -hmm. life. So the first thing, I guess, would be to set a goal. Uh, Before we set goals, we have something called pre-contemplation. So don't create a goal until you've contemplated on life and death and everything in between. Uh, I know it's very existential, but I am an existentialist. I think we all should be because we are you know, living this life. So the first question would be, who do we want to be? And therefore, what do we really, really want? Coming back to the Spice Girls analogy, (laughs) who who do we really want to be? And therefore, what do we really want? So it comes from a place of identity. Who am I? 
what do I really, really want? Um, I think a very important question that would make it successful is who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for social media? Am I doing this for Instagram? Am I doing this, who am I, am I doing this for my mom, my dad? Who am I actually doing this for? In the past, it used to be a conversation with God, for example. Uh, and therefore, we'd be having that for God. Who are we doing this for? Um, and before, I guess, you know, the, the next most important thing, once we decide who do we want to be, what, are, what do we really want, who are we doing this for? What is the suffering that we are willing to go through or the fear that we want to conquer in this process rather than the goal itself? So instead of giving up smoking, what is the suffering that we are enduring? Probably, you know, a lot of people say that cigarettes could be their best friends, for example, right? Or what could be their best friend because they yeah. are, you know, avoiding something else. Or what is the fear that they have, meaning exclusion from a peer group or not being considered successful in a community? So what is the suffering or the fear that you want to eradicate in this process? Only then you set the goal. So the three things, uh, major things that I think people should think about before they begin to even decide what that goal is going to be uh, for them, because the process can be quite exhausting. So I, I think it'd be best to start with these three things. Okay, uh, it's already time for us to take a break, Hetel. So just hold on. I have a few more questions to get through before we actually bring the conversation back to resolutions at work. But yeah, we're going to take a quick break. More on making resolutions stick and how you can apply it in the workplace coming up on Resource Centre. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Benchmark for Managers, BFM 89.9. This is Resource Centre on Enterprise. My name is Audrey Raj, Organisational Psychologist and CEO of OSYC. Hetel Doshi is with us today. It's the first episode of Psychology at Work for the year 2022, and we are discussing resolutions. So, Hetel, um, we've been talking about the origins of resolutions and how it's actually meant to help us let go, loosen, untie. You know, that was the true purpose of resolutions back like 4,000 years ago. And, you know, fast forward 4,000 years later, many of us are continuing to make resolutions every single year and uh, with that high failure rate like we've just discussed, why do people continue to convince themselves to try again and to continue to make these resolutions year in and year out? Well, we have two things called, um, one, one is called positive illusion um, and this is really in conjunction with something called the optimistic, uh, optimism bias. So, you know, this, this thing of attractiveness, health, social, professional successes, these are so powerful because it puts you in such a, you know, it, it, higher levels or higher realms of a social hierarchy that people continuously feel compelled and attracted uh, to, towards this illusion. And so no matter how many times I've failed... Um, I still want to come back. And, you know, a particular research showed that people were willing to attempt up to 20 times, even though they kept failing, because mm. of the glory uh, and the fortune that, you know, um, that is bestowed upon you. Uh, you know, whether it's true or not, it doesn't really make a difference, but it just looks so appealing. And there's this positive illusion. It's like this gold ring of light around it. People just keep wanting to go back over and over again to it. And the other thing is that, you know, um, people convince themselves to try again because 
uh, people are lovers of commitment. Uh, ironically, we, we all actually love freedom, but we're actually, you know, quite attracted to commitment because the idea of just saying yes to something or being committed to something gives us this level of chemical boost in our body. There's adrenaline, there's dopamine, like, oh, I'm going to do something in my life that's purposeful. So these two things, an illusion, and then from the illusion, you get so excited to make a commitment. Uh, and unfortunately, this becomes a compulsion in our life, right? We just get, oh, there's so many amazing things in our life. Let's commit to it. And then, you know, uh, very quickly, because there's not much of a thought process involved, uh, we fail. Um, and this process can go on, as I said, um, in a particular piece of research, people are willing to go 20 over times, keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? But, but aren't there any consequences of failure? Like, if, I mean, I'm sure at some point we go like, okay, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call this the emotional price for trying, and which is why sometimes you know, uh, you know, when we keep trying over and over again in relationships or in a particular diet or in a you know a cessation of certain habits or even a particular goal like digitalization, for example, the companies mm. that have been digitalizing for the past twenty years with very little effort. Um, yes, it can definitely, it definitely uh, decreases your self-worth. It increases your preoccupation and obsession, uh, increases your anxiety, irritation, depression. And the worst part is the fluctuation. You know, it's like a pendulum. You try and then the bounce back is very, very painful. And this eventually makes people feel like failures. So failing is one thing, but feeling like a failure, uh, especially with repeated failures, becomes one of the most uh, you know, uh, ha- the highest price for uh, trying, uh, so to speak. And so then the question again, do we hold or do we fold? Um, and, you know, in the best of music or songs or books, that is the most difficult question that a human being would have to answer in their life. Do I keep going or do I quit? Yeah, do I stay or do I go? Maybe we'll exactly. play that after the show. After this show. <laughs> um, so, Hito, I want to bring this conversation about resolutions back to the workplace. Now, mm-hmm. you know, when I think of resolutions and when I think about how I can apply it at work, it's basically uh, the goals that you set for your team or for yourself, your KPIs for the year. But mm-hmm. I find that I have a greater success rate at work maybe because they're smart goals you know they're measurable and there's like a a a concrete target when it comes to creating these goals for work but Mm -hmm. it's very different when I do that for myself in my in the personal realm so what's the difference here and what's making the work stuff stick and not the personal stuff well, you'd be surprised. Even the work stuff may stick, but may not be creating the necessary outcomes that we really want or rather the impact that we really want as well, right? So we are mm. doing in the motion, but we may not be achieving the impact. Uh, the reason why, obviously, it works much better in the workplace, right? Most of us were like, oh, you know, I can do this for, I can make millions for my company, but if I were to create it on my own, I'm not sure whether I would be able to succeed. Is because organizations have a system in place, right? And this system is a... Unfortunately, it's a fear-based system as well, right? Like, if you don't. Um, So sometimes, unfortunately, the stick works better than the carrot. Um, But yeah, there is a system in place and that system is quite cyclical, right? Everybody knows that there's a year-on-year or at least a quarterly uh, uh, cyclical movement of sorts to take us in a particular position. So let's think a little bit about it, yeah? So what really works in an organization or what really works the most is cycles, uh, so think about it, like, you know, our, our moms gave birth to us because there was a cycle in her body. 
Uh, yeah. The moon gives up, you know, its cycle to the sun. Uh, life gives up that cycle to death. So the cyclical part of it is very, very important. Understanding that there's going to be ups and downs, but a cycle to bring it up back again is very, very important. So um, cycles can be twofold. So one, one, we call it a compulsive cycle, meaning these patterns are quite toxic and, you know, these patterns don't really bring us anywhere. So I think one of the most important things is to take people through cycles or processes that are actually conscious and you can actually see that progress as well. Uh, and I think a lot of organizations actually do this quite well, much better than they think that they're doing, but I think it could be much better as well. So one would be the path of conscious compulsion. Yes, we want to keep you know, having these moments of growth, but doing it consciously. Uh, the second thing I think would be very important would be the path of least effort. Yeah. So what you're saying is that, you know, at home, it's a lot of effort. Um, but at work, it seems like it is a lot of effort, but probably a bit less because there's a huge support system. Mm. You know, there are so many different departments. There's so many people. There are so many avenues. There are potentially a lot of resources. Um, and um, ultimately, it gives you uh, a certain reward, right? I guess if you do it at home, the reward is very questionable. So I, I think step number two would be, uh, number one would be definitely, what is that conscious pattern that we're going to be putting ourselves into? The second thing would be the least effort. So unfortunately, I've been hearing a lot of clients reigniting all kinds of goals in organizations rather than just saying, hey guys, here's one aim and what is the path of least effort? Uh, I think the part of least effort is, effort is the most exciting thing that human beings can embark on for the rest of their lives. I mean, sitting down and inviting great things to you rather than working super hard mm. is um, quite a miraculous process. Um, let's just give you an example. The other day, a friend of mine was saying that she wanted to borrow somebody's car. And normally, you know, she would have you know, tried a million different ways and probably not been so successful. But this time she just asked and she asked very politely. And she left it open and eventually she had a lot of people coming towards her. So I think creating that magnetic source of least effort is a very important path. I can't explain in too much detail, but I think it's a very important thing. How do you invite great things to you rather than forcing um, things to go in a certain way could be quite valuable as well. Um, a couple of other things that I think are very important would be chemical-based motivation. I know this sounds horrible, mm. but... Mm. It is the most important thing. Yeah, Human beings can be super easily, for lack of a better word, manipulated, for a better word, motivated. Yeah, Manipulation or motivation. So simply saying thank you, simply saying good job, simply giving person rewards, simply supporting a person have been proven to be extremely valuable. Uh, and motivation beats skills sometimes. Yeah? Mm. The hunger that you create and the joy that you create uh, is a lot better than necessarily somebody who's skillful but not motivated. So things like, you know, I would definitely recommend leaders to look into the words dopamine, oxytocin, adrenaline um, as a pathway to building that level of motivation or consistent motivation as well. Uh, and lastly, regoling as well. So things that aren't working, how do we regoal? Uh, these are some ideas about how to create a mechanism or momentum of transformation and goal setting in the workplace. Uh, but I just really wanted wanted to wanted to say that the reason the main reason why goals people do not achieve their goals is because of exhaustion. Mm. And so my recommendation to all organizations or leaders or teams is to look after the energy in your people and make sure that you are consistently providing them with the right level of energy for them to want to continue to 
move in a certain path. Right. So now bringing it back to personal resolutions, um, Hitel, um, what can we learn from the way we've been doing it for years, you know, and, and, and how we can actually make progress with self-change? What kind of advice can you give us? I think my, my biggest advice would be to watch a particular video uh, on uh, TEDx. And it's, oh. it's, it's by this guy. He's, he's someone I, I love, probably probably my most favorite TEDx uh, talk. It's, by, it's, it's this guy called Jin Jiang. And um, his uh, TED talk was uh, entitled, What I Learned from 100 Days of um, Rejection. So his major issue in his life was um, facing rejection as a sales personnel. Um, and my recommendation to everybody is instead of going, you know, taking up goals or resolutions, which are very important and actually, uh, you know, uh, all research points to the fact that people who have goals are far more successful and far more joyful than people who don't have goals. So these are very important things. But what I love about what Jin Jiang has done is that he has not only taken a stance of a goal, but actually experimented with a hundred days of introspecting on what it takes to achieve a particular goal, how he feels, what are things that he has learned, what are things that he would recommend to other people, what are things that he would never do again. Um, and so I would definitely recommend for everybody to imagine that you're going through a 100-day journey or 50-day journey or 21-day journey, kind of record it, self-monitor, go through introspection and action um, and try to, at the end of 21 days, hold a small little meeting where you get to talk to your friends and tell them what you have learned. Um, because life is going to be cyclical. No matter how much you're doing well in weight loss or relationships, you're going to fail or you're going to drop a little bit. So you want to be able to take that cycle to the next step. And ultimately, the, and the entire experience should be one which is joyful uh, and valuable. So my recommendation would be, yes, have goals, but also create a wonderful experience and a journey as part of the process. Okay, and just before I let you go, Hetel, maybe just a recap on uh, what would increase success of uh, your resolutions or your, your self-change goals, right? You've had the one that I remember most prominently, the path of least effort. Uh, no, mm -hmm. the path of least resistance, was it? Or was yes. it both of those? Yes, I guess least resistance and least effort. You want to be really smart about it and you want to be, you know, uh, consuming least amount of energy for it. Yeah, and there was two more, right? Yeah, I think that would be the big one for everybody. I think think about what you really, really want. That's number one, the Spice Girls technique. The second thing would be um, the path of least effort. And lastly, would be the path of chemical-based motivation. Mm. So making sure that you consistently have the reinforcement and the motivation uh, as it is going to be a cycle. So, you know, how do you keep motivated as the cycle comes downwards? How do you bring it back up again? And um, yeah, ultimately, obviously, if you can make this a meaningful, joyful journey that will be, you know, something worthwhile in our lives. All right. On that note, thank you again, Hetel, for taking the time to share these insights with us. I'm hoping that they will help with my 2022 uh, resolution accessory and we'll check in on them at the end of the year or maybe in 21 days. I'll give you a call. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Audrey. Right. I've been speaking with Hetel Doshi, organizational psychologist and CEO of Osyc. If you'd like more information on Hetel and the wonderful work that she does with organizations uh, all around the region, um, what's the website again, Hetel? It's www.o-psych.com or you can uh, find me on LinkedIn at Hetel Doshi. 
And if you missed out on any part of this show, you can go look for the podcast on our website. That's bfm.my. You can also find all our podcasts on the BFM app. That's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. More from Hatel again, same time next month. But till then, my name is Audrey Raj and this has been Resource Center on Enterprise BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.